The words to which I should like to call your attention this evening are to be found in the Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter, verses 50, 51, and 51. Verses 50 and 51 in the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men. This is, as you will realize, the end of the account which is given here of how Nathaniel became a follower and a disciple and a believer in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking at this incident for the third time. It's a great and a very important incident. Uh, we have seen that it's important because it does give us in detail the account of how many a soul has come to Christ. We are given the details here. We are shown something about the difficulties and how the difficulties can be overcome. Philip, you remember, having been to the Lord, went back and invited Nathaniel to come, saying to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, you remember, said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? He had a legitimate, a genuine difficulty there, a difficulty that really arose from the fact because that he was such a good man and an Israelite and who knew his scriptures. But you remember Philip's method. doesn't argue with him. He says, come and see. Come and see. Come to him. And Nathaniel did so. Nathaniel was an Israelite indeed in whom there was no guile. He wasn't just out to be clever. He wasn't just out to score debating points. Many a man has scored a debating point and lost his soul. This man was desperately serious and in earnest. There was no guile about him, no pretense, no make-belief. He didn't pretend to affect an interest in these things in order that he might show himself and his cleverness. No, no, our Lord says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Well, Nathaniel, I say, in spite of his difficulty, listened to what his friend Philip said and went with him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they were approaching, you remember, we are told that our Lord made that statement about Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was astonished and amazed. And he said unto him, Rabbi, now, wait a minute. Whence knowest thou me? He couldn't understand this. How did uh, this person know that he was an Israelite indeed in whom was no guile? How did he know his concern about the coming of the Messiah? How did he arrive at this knowledge? And our Lord said to him, Before that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And you remember that last Sunday evening we were looking at that and we realized that that tells us this, that 
There our Lord is saying that he knows us one by one and he knows all about us. There probably under that fig tree hidden by the leaves from all people, from all onlookers, Nathaniel was in communion with God and expressing his longing and his desire and God had met with him and had spoken to him. This person knows that. So Nathaniel says, well, there's only one thing to say at this point. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel, the Messiah that I've been longing for. Maybe that God had told him there under the fig tree that he hadn't much longer to wait, that the Messiah had come and that he was soon to meet him. We don't know. It's more than likely, it seems to me. Because when our Lord displays this knowledge, Nathaniel seems to say, Ah, I see it, I've got it. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. But you notice the story doesn't end there. We might very well imagine that it did end there. And indeed many people seem to me in their personal experiences to be content to stop there. But the story goes on. Here you see Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Now that isn't a question. That is a statement. Our Lord is here con commending Nathaniel. It's put in this form of a question, but it, it, it's a question that really answers itself. He's saying, Nathaniel, because I said to you that I saw you when you were under the fig tree, you have believed on me. Excellent, very good. You're right in what you say. But... That isn't all. Your confession that I am the Son of God, that I am the King of Israel, is wonderful. It is marvelous. But Nathaniel, you haven't seen it all. Greater things than these are still to come. Thou shalt see greater things than these. And then addressing not only Nathaniel, you notice, but all the people, those who are standing by, ye, the plural, henceforth ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men. But, and this is a very important and a very significant point, our Lord introduced this statement by means of the words, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, whenever he uses those words, and you will find that he uses them very frequently, it is always indicative of the fact that he is going to say something of unusual importance, of exceptional importance. You will find that this uh, expression uh, is, is used in this gospel a large number of times, I think altogether about 25 times, and it's important that we should pay very careful 
and I say exceptional attention to every single instance of the use of the words. It's amen, amen. It's a call to us to listen, to pause, to drop everything and pay attention. Or indeed it might be translated like this. Most solemnly I say unto you. Very well then. Here is one of those statements. Our Lord himself is calling attention to something which is of unusual importance and significance. And let us remember that he says it to a man primarily who has already made the confession, Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Very well. What has he got to say? They're going to see greater things. Uh, what are these greater things? Uh, what more is it that a man has got to see? What more can a man believe than to come to Jesus Christ and having seen certain things in him to say, Thou art the Son of God, Thou art the King of Israel. Is there anything beyond that? Yes, says our Lord. This is very good as far as you go, but dear Nathaniel, don't think that it's everything. Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe that I am the Son of God, thou shalt see greater things than these. Greater? Well, what can be greater? Well, our Lord goes on to answer the question. Henceforth, ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men. Now then, what does he mean by this? Well, this, as I say, is one of those crucial statements. I want to try to show you that here in this extraordinary statement, our Lord himself is making one of the clearest and most important statements about himself and his purpose in coming into this world that even he ever made. There is a sense in which this statement is a kind of introduction to nearly all that we find about him in this gospel according to St. John. It's the theme, if you like, suddenly put before us. It now be, will be taken up. Different aspects will be shown and displayed before us. But here is the theme. Here is the essence of the message. Well, what is it? Well, it is obviously a picture. You can read through your four gospels and try to find instances where the disciples saw the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men, and you won't find it. There are some people who, looking at these things very superficially and materialistically, it seems to me, and in a very bad literalistic manner, have tried to say that this is just a reference to the angels coming to our Lord and to his service and to his aid in the Garden of Gethsemane and so on. But clearly, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the picture. It isn't what we are told here. He says, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men. What is it? Well, it's a great pictorial representation of the truth concerning himself. You've seen, he says in effect, that I am the Son of God, I am the King of Israel. Right, beyond that you've got to go on to this. I am more. There is something further. And this is the way in which he puts it. Now then, what we have to do therefore is to examine the two main statements here. Henceforth, hereafter, ye shall see heaven open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now then, what does he mean by this statement? Has it ever struck you that this was a very strange occasion on which to use the term, just when Nathaniel has said to him, Thou art the Son of God. And he immediately says, You're going to see something bigger than that. Son of Man. How can that be an advance on the previous? Ah, well, that is our business in our exposition. This term, son of men, is a term that is used some 83 to 84 times in the New Testament. In this gospel, according to St. John, it's used for 13 times in this gospel alone. Now then, what is its connotation? Why does the Lord Jesus Christ so frequently refer to himself as the Son of Man? And especially, I say, when he's just been addressed as the Son of God. Now, it is generally agreed that this term, Son of Man, is a term that he borrowed and uh, uses for his own purpose from the book of the prophet Daniel in the seventh chapter where in verses 13 and 14 we read this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now I say it's generally agreed and it's undoubtedly the case that our Lord takes up that term, that remarkable prophecy there by Daniel and he uses it and applies it to himself. So you see there is only one explanation of the meaning of the term and it is this. He is saying, in effect, I am the Messiah. The one pictured by Daniel coming in the clouds of heaven, to whom this universal sway and dominion is to be given, is the Messiah. He is the deliverer of mankind. He's the one who's going to reign over the whole earth, and of his kingdom there shall never be an end. The characteristic description of the Messiah and his kingdom which we have in the Old Testament prophecies. Now then, here our Lord in speaking to Nathaniel says, I am the son of man. He applies this designation to himself. Very well, what is he teaching thereby? What is he saying to Nathaniel? What's he saying to these disciples? What is he saying to us? Well, what he said to them was this, isn't it? He says, you've just said that I am the Son of God. You're right, but I am also the Son of Man. Nathaniel is perfectly right when he calls him the Son of God. But Nathaniel and the others have not yet realized that he is also the Son of Man. Now then, what does that mean? Well, you notice that he doesn't say, a Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man. And that was his constant way of referring to himself. He's not a Son of Man. In other words, he's not saying that he's just a man amongst other men. 
As there were teeming masses of men in the world, he's just a man, like everybody else, a man amongst men, that isn't what he says, the son of men. He, I say, is not only not one amongst many, he is not like the many. He belongs to a category apart. This the stamps him out. It is another way of saying that he is not like other men in their birth, for instance. All men are born by natural procreation. He wasn't. He didn't begin when he was born in Bethlehem. He came into the world. He came out of eternity into time. Oh yes, via the virgin's womb. But he didn't start there. That isn't the beginning of his existence. That's the beginning of every man. Every man starts as a cell. He wasn't in existence until then. That's the beginning. That's the genesis of men. There he is created as it were. That's true of all men. But he's not a man. He is the son of men. He stands in a category apart. He is a visitor into this world. He has come into time. He's not an ordinary man. There is a uniqueness. There is something special about him. He must be thought of entirely on his own. The son of men. Yes, that's all right. But even that doesn't exhaust the rich content of this term. This is a term, as we shall see, which is absolutely vital to the Christian position. And none of us really become Christians in a true sense until we see that in addition to being the son of God, he is also the son of men. Well then, what is it? Well, perhaps the simplest way in which I can put it is this. You remember that when men fell in the Garden of Eden, God went down and visited him in his disgrace and in his shame. And he gave to him that marvelous promise. He told him, first of all, that there would be perpetual enmity between his seed and the seed of the serpent. But then he gave that wonderful promise. That there was to be an end to the conflict, that there was to be a victory. Because he said, the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. Now, what our Lord is really saying when he calls himself the Son of Man is this. I am the seed of the woman. I am the man. The man that was promised in the Garden of Eden. The man that has been expected throughout the running centuries. The man. The Son of Man. Yes, but it isn't only that. There is something else which for us is of vital importance. And I cannot think of a better way of putting it to you than by putting it like this. Adam, at the beginning, was the man. There was nobody else. He was the only man. Ah, oh, but you say, scientists don't believe that now. I can't help what scientists may believe or not believe. I have no gospel if that isn't true. God made man in his own image and he made him perfect. And there was one, Adam. The man. 
You read the early chapters of Genesis and you'll find that that is the way in which it's described. God saw that the man was lonely. The man. In what sense is he the man? Well, in this sense. He was the whole of humanity. He is the first of a race. He is the initiation of a humanity. He's the first man. And he has a progeny. He has children. He has descendants who come out of him and who derive their being from him. Adam, the first man, the beginner of the human race, the source of humanity and its life. The Lord Jesus Christ here says that he is the son of men. And what is he saying? Well, what he's saying is this. He is saying there is a sense in which as Adam was the man, I am the man. There is a parallelism between him and Adam. That is something that cannot be said of anybody else. All other men that have ever been in this world are just descendants of Adam. They are children of Adam. And they are not in the same position as Adam. Because they are descendants, not progenitors. But here he says, I am the son of man. I am man, the man, in a sense that Adam was the man. In other words, what he is telling Nathaniel and his companions at this point is this. That he is the head of a new humanity. That he is, if you like, a second Adam. Indeed, the Apostle Paul says that he is not only the second Adam, but that he is also the last Adam. But the point is this, is that he is an Adam. He is the founder of a new race. He is the first in a great succession. He is, if I may use a term employed by the Apostle Paul, he is the firstborn among many brethren. Now then, you see the significance of the phrase and of his use of the phrase. Nathaniel, he says to him, you're perfectly right in saying that I am the Son of God. But you know, if I were only the Son of God, it wouldn't be of much help to you. If I were only the Son of God, well, this would be a kind of theophany. It would be a kind of appearance of the Son of God here in the world amongst men. And you would be left exactly where you are. I am the Son of God, but I am also Son of Man. You don't see it now. You don't see it yet. You're going to see it. Your eyes are going to be open, and the eyes of these others. You're going to see that I am the Son of Man, and that I am standing here before you, because I have come into this world to give a new start to the human race. I am starting a new humanity. I am starting a new progeny. I am the firstborn amongst many brethren. I am coming to initiate a new movement amongst mankind, such as it has never known since Adam was created at the beginning. I am the son of man. Now you see the significance and the importance of that. You can't understand the New Testament gospel and its doctrine 
unless you lay a very firm hold and grip on this particular truth. It is only as we are in Christ and belong to him and derive our being and our life from him that we are saved. This is the business of Christianity. Christ has come into the world, into its teeming masses of men and women, and what does he do? Well, he takes us out of that compartment, and he joins us to himself. We come out of him, and we belong to his new race, a new race of men and women, a new humanity. He does that as the son of men. He is the man, therefore. He is the representative man. Adam, you see, was a representative man, wasn't he? Adam was the only man, and he was the representative of the whole of humanity which came out of him. And God gave him a certain law. And God said, if you please me, and if you keep my commandment, I will bless you. If you don't, if you break my commandment, you shall die, and the curse will come upon you, and you shall be driven out of the garden. And Adam, as our representative, sinned against God, rebelled against him. And he fell into sin, and thus the consequences of his act came upon him. Yes, but because he was our representative, they've come upon us also. And the whole of the world tonight is as it is because Adam sinned. That's the teaching of the scripture. That is the doctrine of original sin. Now, you try to explain the world as, as it is this evening without that doctrine. You try to explain it in terms that we are gradually rising and that we are improving from century to century. And as a result of our knowledge, we are getting better and better. Can you really say that as you look at life as it is tonight? It's obviously not true. It's simply not a fact at all. No, no, the world is still in sin and shame in spite of all the efforts of men to improve it and to put it right. Why? What's happened to the world? What's gone wrong with men? Here's the answer. Adam sinned, sinned and fell, and the whole of humanity has gone down with him. We all come out of him, and we inherit the consequences of his fall and of his sin. We are born in sin. We are shaken in iniquity. Every child wants to do what it's told not to do. It seems to have a bias towards evil. Where would you get it from? It gets it in the nature that it's inherited from Adam. We are all in Adam by nature. The first man has led to this progeny. And what our Lord is here saying, and it's one of the most glorious things he's ever said, is this. That though he is the eternal Son of God... He has chosen and elected to become the Son of Man. Why? Well, in order to open up the way of our deliverance and our redemption, to give us a new life and a new start, to give us a new birth, to give us a new inheritance, to give us a new pedigree. He's come down and he's done this, and if he hadn't become Son of Man, though he's Son of God, he couldn't have saved us. So you see, it's not surprising that he said to Nathaniel in the company, you shall see greater things than this. You realize how much greater it is? The Son of God, I say it with reverence, became greater when he stooped down and became the Son of Man. 
He's son of God and son of men. Very well, but let me hurry on. That's not the only thing that is implied there. He also is saying this to Nathaniel, isn't he? Nathaniel, he says, in effect, he is saying, Thou art the king of Israel. And you're perfectly right, Nathaniel. I am the king of Israel. But I am more than the king of Israel. You are right when you say, Thou art the king of Israel. I am the Messiah long expected. But I am the Messiah long expected in the way that Daniel wrote in his book and didn't quite understand what he was saying when he called me also the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, it means this. The Jews, you see, held this view that the Messiah, when he came, would only deliver the Jews. That's the great theme that you read of in these Gospels. That's why they quarrel so much with our Lord. Because he went on saying, as he said here at the very beginning, that he is not only the King of Israel, but the King of kings and Lord of lords. That he is not only the Messiah, the Deliverer of Israel, but that he is to be the Savior of the whole world. Son of man. Not only you, the man covering all humanity, as it were. Now, this, of course, again, is absolutely pivotal and vital. Jesus of Nazareth was born amongst the Jews, but he isn't only one who belongs to the Jews. It is extraordinary to notice how John the Baptist had already seen it, because you remember... He stood there with his disciples and he seeth Jesus coming unto him. You read this in this same chapter earlier on. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Not only the sin of the Jews, not only King of Israel, King of the whole world. Here is one who has come to span the human race. And you remember how later on in his ministry... Our Lord himself made this abundantly plain and clear. You remember the incident when two certain Greeks came and made their request and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And the disciples went to our Lord and asked if he'd receive them. But he wouldn't receive them then. But this is what he said, you remember. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, shall draw all men unto me. What's it mean? It means just this. He says, now, while I'm still alive, I don't see the Greeks. At the moment, while I'm still in the flesh, I'm dealing only with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he had told the disciples not to preach anywhere outside those confines. But here he's saying, if, when I am lifted up, when I'm crucified, when I die, it will be seen that I'm not merely the Savior, the Messiah of Israel. I will then draw all men, men out of all nations. Greeks then can come, all can come, Gentile and Jew, Savior of all. I will draw all men, men out of all nations and kindreds and tribes unto me. So here you see is opening the eyes of the disciples to that. 
that he is not merely a savior or a teacher to a particular people. He stands before them and says, look at me again. I am not merely king of Israel. I am the son of man. Very well, there is our first term. Let me hurry on to the second. For what he says is this, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now then, what does he mean by this? We've seen what the Son of Man is, but what about this further picture? Well now, this is undoubtedly a reference back to that great incident in the life of the patriarch Jacob. And that is why we are ready together in the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis in the reading at the beginning. You remember it, don't you? There is Jacob reaching one of the great turning points of his life, leaving his home, leaving his mother in particular. Off he goes, feeling lonely and desolate. His brother may come after him at any moment because he'd been rather unfair and had acted the cad towards his brother. There he is left alone puts his head down on a pillow of stone and falls asleep and then the dream. And what did he see? Well, he saw the heavens open and he saw a ladder going from earth to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. What's the meaning of the dream? Well, God interpreted the dream to him, as you remember. God spoke to him and this is what he said, Jacob, the dream you've just had I have given you as a picture. You see what it is? A ladder from heaven to earth. And you see the angels going up and down. What's it mean? Well, it means this. I'm going to bless you, Jacob. I am opening the windows of heaven to shower a blessing upon you. This is my way of doing it. I'm going to send them down and you'll be able to speak to me. It'll be this great exchange. It was God's way of telling his servant, Jacob, that he was his men, that out of his seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed, and that he would follow him and lead him and guide him and bless him, that he would be his God, and there would be no end and no limit to the blessings that he was going to enjoy. That's the meaning of the dream. Heaven opened. The possibility of knowing God and being blessed by him. Very well. Our Lord now, you see, takes up that idea. But I wonder whether you noticed that there was a slight change in what we are told. Listen. Henceforth ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What's the difference between the two pictures? Have you seen it? There is no ladder mentioned here. Jacob saw a ladder and the angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. Here Christ says, you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending, not upon a ladder, upon what? Upon the Son of Man. Which being interpreted, you see, means this. He himself is the ladder. The Son of Man is the ladder. What's it mean? Well, obviously it means exactly what the ladder meant in the case of Jacob in a still greater sense. What he is saying here is this, that he is the link between heaven and earth. 
As that ladder was linking Jacob to heaven, he himself links earth and heaven and heaven and earth. The Son of Man, it's on the Son of Man the angels will ascend and descend. He is the ladder that God has sent down. Here is the link, then I say, between earth and heaven. And in the same way he is asserting and claiming that he is the bond of union between God and men. Man, as I've been reminding you, as the result of sin, has become separated from God. He is an alien from God. There is a quarrel between God and men. And men in sin are strangers to God and they don't know him. They've often tried to find him, but they cannot. God and men are estranged as the result of the fall and as the result of sin. And there is no way that men can ever think of or devise of bringing about a union between himself and God. And here the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the ladder. I am the link. I am the bond of union. I am the one who has come, you're quite right in saying, that I am the Son of God, I am the Son of God, but I am also the Son of Man, in order that I may link men to God, that I may restore the broken communion, that I may make possible this communion and fellowship again, the rising and the falling, the angels ascending and descending. I bring man and God together. I am the link between God and men. And finally, of course, he is saying this. That he is the way in which God's blessings come to men. That was the meaning of the ladder, as we have seen, that Jacob saw in his dream at Peniel. He felt alone, he felt deserted, he felt helpless. Never had he been so conscious of his weakness and of the great empty world in which he found himself. No one near him, absolute loneliness and isolation. That awful solitariness that we all come to feel or soon or late. Left, family behind, future unknown. There he is alone. What can he do? Who's concerned about him? Suddenly, the heavens open. And the ladder appears, and he knows that he is linked to heaven, and God promises through the ladder to shower his blessings upon them. Ah, my friends, this is just another way of saying what our Lord claims in these extraordinary words that he used on this occasion. He looked at these people and he said, I am the Son of God. I am the King of Israel. But you will come to see something of infinitely more precious worth and value to you. As the Son of Man, I am the means and the way whereby God's blessings are going to come to you. Now, let me emphasize this as I close. 
in putting it in that form, our Lord is claiming and saying that he is the only way and that God's blessings to mankind come through him and through him alone. He is the Son of Man. He is the ladder between earth and heaven and heaven and earth. And there is no other. Now, in this Gospel, according to St. John, he goes on saying that in different forms. Have you remembered them? Do you remember them? Listen to this. He says, I am the bread of life. There is no life. There is no sustenance apart from me. He says, I am the door. There is no way of entering the kingdom of heaven but by me. I am the door. I am the light of the world. There is no light apart from me. There are great men, there are philosophers, there are theories, but there's no light. No light on God, no light on yourself, no light on salvation, no light on death, no light on eternity. I am the light of the world. There is no light apart from me. That's what he's saying. He is the ladder, the only ladder. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Oh, my dear friend, do you see the importance of all this? Do you see why I'm stressing it? Our Lord announces it at the very beginning of his ministry for this all-sufficient reason. Until you and I come to see that we are shut up to Christ. That there is no deliverer anywhere else. No salvation anywhere else. We don't know the salvation. He is the only way of deliverance. The only ladder. But you remember that not only did he say this, his followers kept on saying the same thing. The apostle Peter and his companions had been arrested because they had healed a man at the gate of the temple and had said that it was the name of Christ that had done it. And that then the authorities had arrested them and had said to them, You mustn't speak in this name any longer. We prohibit you to preach this Jesus of yours. And this was the answer that Peter gave them. There is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. It's the only name. I can't keep still, says Peter. I'll die rather than give in. He's the only name. There is none other. All God's blessings come through him. And apart from him, there is no blessing for men. Well then, listen to Paul saying the same thing. I determined, he says to the Corinthians, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything else is a waste of breath because it doesn't work. 
I've kept myself to this. I've been called a fool. People say I don't know anything because I haven't talked about philosophy and have displayed my knowledge. I've done it deliberately. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? He's the only ladder between God and men, between heaven and earth. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All the blessings that we enjoy come to us through Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been quickened with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. We are saved by the blood of Christ. It's all in Christ. And there is nothing apart from him. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, there it is. There I leave it for this evening. We haven't exhausted it. But this we have seen quite clearly, haven't we? He is the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. But more, he's the Son of Man. He became the Son of Man. Why? Well, in order to do this for us which none other could do. A new man was needed. A new man came. A new link between heaven and earth, between God and men. And he is. But he is the only link. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. You'll never know God except through Jesus Christ. You'll never be blessed by God unless it comes to you through Jesus Christ. You'll never go to heaven except you go in Jesus Christ. Son of God, yes, but blessed be his name. Son of man, the ladder of God, the way for men to rise to that sublime abode. An offering and a sacrifice, the Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God. Had you believed that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God? Had you liked his teaching? That's all right, he is the Son of God. But the vital question for every one of us tonight is this. Had you seen also that he is the son of men? Had you seen that he came down from heaven to earth and died upon the cross as the man, your representative and mine, as Adam was your representative? But that this representative saves where that representative damned. 
We are all lost by one man's sin and disobedience. We can only be saved as we realize the merit and the value of this other man's obedience. Yea, his obedience even to the death of the cross. Do you seek God through Jesus Christ? If you don't, you'll never know him. Do you seek his blessings simply on your own? Without Christ, you might as well stop. There is only one way of entering to the presence of God. It is by the blood of Jesus. This is the ladder. And on this blessed ladder, the angels of God bringing and dispensing the blessings are ascending and descending. He brings us to God and opens heaven that we may receive its glorious blessing. Nathaniel, believest thou because I said unto thee, I saw thee when thou wast under the fig tree. Thou shalt see greater things than these. Have you seen them? Had you seen that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God's only way of blessing you? Well, if you've seen it, and seen it tonight for the first time, I say to you, put your foot upon the first rung of the ladder. Hasten to him. Hold on to the sides. Flee to him. Once you're on that ladder, you are linked to God and to heaven, and you are open to all the glories and the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. Amen.